Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. I'm Danielle. Hey, everybody. We're an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics. And we also interact with our listeners every single week. And now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. Oh, man, no one sent us one. Come on, send us one, you guys. Here's what we do is we're going to tell you what we're going to read, and then we're going to read it, and we're going to talk about it. And then you're going to also read it and... You're going to listen to us talking about it, and then you're going to send us, hey, damn guys, that's the email, or you look at the social media, and then then what you're going to do is we tell we talk about what you talked about, and then we tell you what you're going to read, and that's friendship, and that's a book club. Back to you, John. Ah, yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> well said. So I wrote on my notes here, say a thing. Like I mentioned every week. Everything that we do on the show is for free, and usually I have a lot of fun doing it. And I feel like I'm providing a welcome distraction, you know, especially with all the COVID pandemic turmoil. Well, and it's for friendship, like we just got finished right, saying. Yeah. It's for, you know, community and, and being togetherness and, and friends. So. But this week, it's it's been a little different, and I guess mostly because I don't want to provide a distraction no. to what's going on, especially over here in the States, and it feels... A little weird to me to be going like, hey, everyone, come check out our podcast. We're talking about Hellboy this week. Like, it just feels weird. I don't know. I've had a little bit of a hard time this week, like, doing the posts and stuff like that. Like, As it, it just, should. It should feel weird. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it's like, I don't really want to be like, hey, it's fun times over here. Because it's... It, reading the reading the comics and having the podcast is fun, but... You know, there's just been so much going on, and there's so many injustices taking place, and it's escalating more and, and more every day. Yeah, for years, hundreds of years. Obviously, anyone who's been listening to the podcast or following us on social media know that we have passionate views on this kind of thing, and I think that the characters that we love would too. You know, yep. Hellboy, Roger, Kate, Liz, the Lobster, Professor Broom, Johan, Abe. They, they, they the all, lobster. you know, <laughs> has strong feelings. Be more like the lobster. You know, I don't really have a lot of money, and I don't have this huge following. I've got some people that tune in every week, and I've got the following on social media, but that is a platform. You know what I mean? And I, I was talking to Danielle and Aubrey about this, and I, I do have a voice, and I feel like with that voice, there comes an obligation to try and use it, try and use it for something good. And I really need to incorporate that into the show because I feel like the the limited voice that I do have, it, it doesn't feel right to just keep talking about Hellboy comics every week. Obviously, that's what we're here to do. But we're always going on about, you know, fuck the Nazis, beat them yes, up. Yes, exactly. We don't want any fucking yeah. Nazis around here, eradicate them. We are against Nazis. And so if we truly are, then yeah, we're going to talk about this. All this motivated me to kind of like... See, see what I could do about it. You know, the the truth of the matter, and I'm just going to be totally transparent here, is like, I'm still worried about COVID. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. still worried about the coronavirus, and I haven't really been out there protesting, and I don't have tons of money to just give to these organizations. But I have, you know, a lot of people that like Hellboy looking at me, and I have a lot of Hellboy comics. And I went through digging through my collection of back issues over the weekend, and I pulled out some gems that I'm willing to part with. I'm going to be organizing a raffle this week, 
And you can win some of my comics, including a super rare Hellboy and the BPRD 1952 sketch cover signed by Mignola. Super nice. I've seen this book go for over $100. So keep an eye out for that on our social media. I'm also going to have some other books that I'm going to throw in. And if you're so inclined, you can throw some money at it. Raffle tickets will be $1. And 100% of the proceeds will go to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Fuck yeah. They are America's premier legal organization fighting for racial justice through litigation, advocacy, and public education. The Legal Defense Fund seeks structural changes to expand democracy, eliminate disparities, and achieve racial justice in a society that fulfills the promise of equality for all Americans. Legal Defense Fund also defends the gains and protections won over the last 75 years of civil rights struggle and works to improve the quality and diversity of judicial executive appointments. So... I feel like that is something that I could do, and I hope that you guys will support, you know, and I was talking to Aubrey earlier, and I was like, if I could raise $100 yeah. to throw at yeah. the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, that would make me feel better, you know, at least about what I'm doing, and at least about continuing the show and, and everything like that, because it, it it is a weird time right now, and it's been a little bit more difficult this week to be like, okay, let me sit down and do my notes for the show, and let me post my posts, and you know, all the little details and all that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, there was the Blackout Tuesday, and I went ahead and dropped the episode the day before because I wanted to observe that. And then I felt a little bad about dropping it because I was like, maybe I shouldn't have even, you know, released an episode this week. And then that night, I got an email from Mark Tweedo, and he said, I'm listening to it now. I really needed this. And so then that did make me feel better about dropping the episode early and letting you guys have that for the week. And so obviously we're going to continue to do the show, but we're going to try to mobilize a little bit and see what what we can do and and try and raise some money. I'm thinking about having the raffle for two weeks and seeing how much we can raise. And there's going to be some great books in there signed by Mike Mignola as well. And you'll be able to earn some of these books. And so if you can throw $5, if you can throw $20 at it, you know, that's 20 raffle tickets and that increases your chances to win. And I'm going to pay for all the shipping. You know, I'm just going to eat the shipping costs. I'm sure it'll be fine. I can afford it. So I hope that you guys will support the raffle that's going to be coming up. And so be on the look for that this week. Yeah. So John called me earlier today and we were talking about this and he told me he was going through his comics. And I was just like, you know, I know I have. I think a couple of Mignola comics that he did. They're not Hellboy. It's going to be Marvel stuff, most okay. likely. I'm not even sure what condition they're in because right. I, uh, but I'm going to go through and I'm going to pull out, you know, everything I can find and I will give it to John All to right. add to the raffle. And if it's like, you know, something kind of crappy, you, John will just, you can like slip it in, like, you know, hey, you get this one and then you get some random one out of Aubrey's collection. There you go. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but I mean, if it's in good condition or something that people want, then, you know, obviously we'll put it, you know, we'll let people know what it is. Because I know for a fact that I have that X Factor issue to, uh, he did. There's an annual um, that has a cover by Mignola. Yeah. I have that whole X Factor run from Louis Simonson. So, all right. Yeah. So I I'm really gonna go appreciate through, that. Yeah. Man. I'm going to go through and just add in because I completely agree with everything John just said. Um, uh, and anything we can do to help, I think would be a good thing. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I'm glad to have your support. I have been collecting a lot of links, a lot, a lot of links for various food banks, various bail funds in lots of different cities and Black Lives Matter organizations. And so it's all different, but it's all stuff that I feel like is is worthy of our attention. And so I'm kind of just collecting a bunch of links. So I encourage you to join in on the raffle. Absolutely. But if you're like, hey, I got an extra five bucks here and there. There's also a lot of very, you know, specific direct funds that can still use our help. So uh, if you're interested in any of those as well, 
we can figure out a way to get that to you as well. Yeah, How yeah. How you feel about we'll, that? But we'll add it yeah. to the, you know, if you're following us on social media, just follow our social media and we'll be posting some of these we'll links. I think that, that's yeah. a great thing. Yeah. I did see somewhere earlier this week, I think Tansi Zanyich, he's doing like, if you donate such a, like, I think it's like 50 bucks to a, to one of these causes he'll do he'll send you a sketch oh that's that's great <laughs> yeah i actually missed out on that he closed it already but he says he oh. might open it back up again so i'm going to keep a watch out for that that's an amazing cause and there are so many artists that are doing similar yeah. things or they're doing yeah. auctions and so the opportunity is out there you know and I, and I think that it's a wonderful thing for everyone to yeah. be supporting these causes and so what whatever you can do right you know and you could get some cool hellboy comics out of it yeah absolutely yeah. I am very proud to um, even be associated with anyone who's putting up their own items for this, an amazing cause, which is, you know, we obviously all feel very strongly about it. And not everyone is built to be on the front lines. You know, we understand that. But any way you can support is very appreciated. Use your voice, use your wallet, use whatever you have to amplify this and... You know, or, but if you are capable, of course, we stand behind you beating the shit out of Nazis with a luggage rack. That is something we definitely do condone. So absolutely feel free to whip ass with a luggage rack anytime you want. That's fine. Awesome. Yeah. So I hope that you guys will support us on that. And my next note here is leave a review and all that junk. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Leave us a review and all that junk. (laughs) And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. A story we talk about it you hate them guys us and it's a book club get out treats we got a hey ya everyone get from Lars Voltz oh Lars hey. Voltz book club member he said, I just stumbled upon your podcast today so oh, he's a new okay. book club member that's oh. why he didn't use hey you damn guys <laughs> welcome he's- new member he said, pretty rad dynamic you all have. You have a solid presentation and cover some good ground. I've been diving into BPRD. I finished Plague of Frogs and I just got volume four and five of Hell on Earth today. Oh. I was listening to episode 45 because it covers the abyss of time and I love the Howard's character. And yes. He was, he was oh, asking me nice. about the about the symbols, you know, and we found some of those other symbols. And so I was like, hey, you got to go check out the Hellboy Whittier Legacy short story. Because those symbols also appear there. He said, uh, thanks for taking time to answer my question. Thanks, Lars. So, yeah, thank you, new book club member Lars Voltz. Welcome to the club. We also got a nice comment from Braxton Harrison on Instagram. He said, looking forward to being at the tip of the spear with the podcast. I'm at BPRD 1947. The rereading experience is so much better with the conversation. Lots of connections I've missed over the years. All right. Thank you, Braxton. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Book Club member. And 1947, that connects right to the story that we're discussing this week. (laughs) That's great. So he could literally listen to the next episode uh, when it comes out if he wants to, and it would connect right to that story. So I thought that was so cool. What a nice coincidence. That is pretty awesome. We had some feedback on Hellboy Weird Tales, My Vacation in Hell. That was the one where it was like the numerals and it had all those little vignettes of Hellboy doing all that weird stuff in hell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it said yeah. like Island of the Sexy Angels sure. and then Escape from the Island of the Sexy Angels. And I, I'm surprised we didn't talk about this. Mark Tweedell mentioned Planet of the Apes beneath the Planet of the Apes Escape from the Planet of the Super Apes. Super good. Yeah. Super and so, good. yeah, that's probably a reference oh. to that. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't catch that. As a kid, Actually, I would watch these movies and my mom would be like, why are you watching this again? <laughs> like a young kid, like a super young kid. I was surprised that you have all of them on DVD. I know, yeah. all of these movies. <laughs> Dr. Sayers, Dr. Sayers. 
And so my mom would be like, why are you, what's this is the most boring movie I've ever seen? And I loved it. I love that like super slow sci-fi kind of thing, which is I think a reason I really loved like Alien when the it first came out. I was like, yeah. oh, this is the best movie. I loved shit like that. And yeah. so my mom would be like, why are you watching this again? You are the weirdest kid in the world. I was super young. Blade Runner is another one. Blade Runner, like exactly. Yeah, yeah. I love Blade Runner. <laughs> And I, I love, love the new Blade one. Runner. Go fuck yourselves. It's yeah. great. <laughs> and Mark also said he thought the butt trumpeters were a Monty Python reference. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Oh, definitely. But I think that wasn't that a reference to something? I don't know. Yeah. Well? I'm not familiar with that. I mean, it was definitely obviously all over Monty Python. Who doesn't remember that? But yeah. like, wasn't that also like a thing that they... I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> and thank you so much to Hayden Orr. I was talking Hayden about... Hayden Orr! A club member. Yeah. I was talking about that Leviathan at the end of yeah. that cartoon. Cool. What was that a reference to? And so he pointed me in the right direction. It's based on a woodcut of a hellmouth. Wow. And I couldn't find the artist, but the image is wow. from the dissertation of the Coventry Mysteries. And there's a lot of hellmouths that are depicted that way with like the little guy inside and all the people crawling out. Yeah, it was really That's cool. Awesome. I got to see these woodcuts now. Yeah, I they're really amazing. Follow us on social yeah. media. You'll see it. I reposted uh, yeah. them. So well, thank you so this. much, Hayden Orr, for, you know, <laughs> I refuse and, to follow us on social media. And, uh, you know, you were mentioning when we were looking at that, you were saying that it was like a hand drawn font where it had the Roman numerals it and all that. It seemed like it was. Okay, so the woodcut has the same font. Ugh, I love the, that. I you love know, it. So I thought that was great. Nice. Yeah, thank you for pointing me towards that. And I don't think we talked about this either. Ryan Yule mentioned it reminds me of Hellboy in Hell where the Leviathan comes out. And mm, it, okay. eats, uh, it eats Astaroth and one of the brothers okay. or something like that. Yeah, so that's another great coincidence. We had some feedback on our episode last week. Hellboy in the BPRD 1953, the England stories. Mark Tweedell said, Mignola and Stenbeck make a hell of a team. And Jerry Turnbull said... Here's a couple pictures of huge statues of Kelpies not too far from me. There can't be many places celebrating horrible monsters. Yeah, oh, and wow. so if you follow us on social media, it's really awesome. There are these 30-meter-high woodhead sculptures, and they wow. look like water. Yeah, and they're called the Kelpies in the Falkirk Council area in Scotland. The sculptures were designed by sculptor Andy Scott and were completed in October 2013. The Kelpies are a monument to the horse-powered heritage across Scotland. Yeah, so very cool. I would love to see that sculpture. It looked amazing. That's awesome. There was also a footnote about F.T. Benson. Jerry Turnbull said that's a nod to E.F. Benson, who wrote a lot of ghost stories, including one of Mike's favorites, The Room in the Tower. I've never read that one. i got to check that no, out. I've never read that. And Hayden Orr said, Ben Stenbeck is always so great. Other than Mike himself, he's probably my favorite Mignolaverse artist. Okay. He's worked on so many Mignolaverse titles, plus most of Baltimore. And I could always read more of his work. He was supposed to have some creator-owned work that was possibly coming out later this year, but I haven't seen anything about whether the COVID-19 stuff has pushed that back or what. Hopefully we get to see more of that, though. Yeah, I have to check that out. I didn't know that he was coming out with his own series, but it also reminds me, Lawrence Campbell has a new book that he's doing called Old Haunts. Oh, wow. That looks really cool. Yeah, so check that out, too. Lawrence Campbell. Book club artist, right? (laughs) I mean, he's not even... Amazing uh, artist. Yeah, really. But he's retweeted us, so... He sure has. He's a book club member. He sure is, yeah. Yeah. 
Tom Barnett said, Tom Barnett! Book club member. Yes. Happy to be back with more HB Canon stories. Yeah. Mark Tweedo's observations about weird tales were informative and spot on. Two quick observations about the Phantom Hand. So when the... I didn't notice this, or we didn't talk about it. When the demon... You know, they throw it in the fireplace, and then it turns into this monster. The monster, one of his hands is discolored. Oh, okay. It's, like, white, because that's the hand. I thought that was a oh. nice detail. I didn't notice that. How, how do we not notice that? That's and, why it's a book club. Yeah, and he said... Yeah. He also said, chronologically speaking, this might be the first time that Hellboy says, well, that was something. Oh, Because right. he says that a oh. lot, and then that's the first time okay. or whatever. It probably is. Okay. Yeah, so I, I thought... I love those kind of details. Thank you so much. And we have some more controversial talk. Oh, shit. By Jerry Turnbull. Oh, shit. Jerry Turnbull. Book club member. <laughs> Beans on toast are fabulous. Oh, no. And if you really want to eat like a toff, you turn it into cheesy beanos by adding grated cheese. Jeez. That sounds good. Uh, look, 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 look. Maybe I'm misunderstanding this because I'm imagining. Just tell me if I am. And, and that's okay. I, I'm willing to learn. Uh, I'm imagining a piece of very, very soft white bread, untoasted, just a thin slice of white bread with like but with like juicy, slimy, watery, plain beans dumped upon it. No. Now, if I'm mistaken, <laughs> if there's if this is like if this is like a baguette slice with like it's like a kind of a bean spread and there's spices bean spread. in it yeah, maybe yeah. and it's actually got flavor to it and it's not just like a watery mushy like i'm imagining something that's probably awful and maybe not at all like the thing that you enjoy and if that's the case i'm definitely willing to retract all of my comments about beans on toast <laughs> because you know over here when i when we say biscuit there's something entirely different. Right. You guys are talking about cookies. We're talking about like yeah. something Biscuits. else over here. Yeah, like some bread, right? So, you know, it could be something else. A roll, maybe. I'm willing yeah. to admit that this is just maybe a lost in translation type of a deal. So that's, you know. Well, Aubrey and If you Jerry- want to come fix me some beans on toast <laughs> and it's delicious, I'll admit that I'm wrong. That's fine. Make us a YouTube video of what sure, it looks sure. like. There you go. Yeah. Or send us one. I refuse to Google it. Well, Aubrey... Aubrey and Jerry had some bean talk in the conversation, right, Aubrey? <laughs> okay. We did. Bean talk with Aubrey. It's, and it's, That's okay. the spin-off podcast. Look, I love beans. I love beans. I've got a great chili recipe. I, 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 I love eating beans and rice. I love beans. I'm Cajun. I love beans. Okay, so, but I don't understand what the beans on toast is. It could be something totally different from what I'm thinking about. Right. That's fine. Well, I think one... one problem with uh, your assessment is uh, you said plain white bread untoasted but I it mean, says beans on toast that's it's, the, gotta, it's, it's gotta, gotta be toasted it's gotta be toasted <laughs> wouldn't that still make it soggy though i don't know maybe they're like it's a spread of beans perhaps so maybe i'm wrong i could be wrong but just eat that's the funny. i eat the beans with a spoon with right i have the bread on the side so mm-hmm. i don't know you know just spoon it into the bread next time I and mean, just eat it that's I guess, all it is i guess <laughs> just one well, step sure i mean okay okay it's it's funny is that a couple of days before we recorded the podcast and I completely forgot about this is that I was actually eating black beans on cornbread mm. like a few days before that. that but good. I would totally try beans on toast. I mean, if it didn't eat good, I wouldn't finish it. But I mean, I would think it. <laughs> and uh, so Jerry posted a picture of what their beans the the can of beans is, and then Aubrey posted a picture of what ours is, and Jerry said, <laughs> "Yikes." 
I don't think they would taste the same. Seasoned with bacon and brown sugar. Oh, Eek. oh brown sugar. No. <laughs> no. No sugar in the beans for me. Oh, no. I was just posting a can of the baked beans. I mean, that was Oh, just no. No. I'm not a baked beans fan. I don't eat baked beans. No. But that's what he was uh, talking about, baked yeah. beans on toast. No. That's so what it no, was. It's on automatic no for me. <laughs> that's a no. I don't eat baked beans. I'm going to try it. I'm a black beans person i like field peas you like that one. i like yeah. red kidney beans there, there you go but the barbecue sugar beans are not a thing for me hmm. no. oh, well that's what he was saying man. is the ones that I they have over them. there they're the same kind of beans but they don't have the sugar and all See, that. okay i could go for that see that might well, be more your some, style some salt some Here's, cayenne some black pepper the the picture that uh, jerry posted of the beans from over there in britain are the same beans i found in the internationals <laughs> I'm, doing quotes. Uh. I'm doing i'm doing air quotes here international section right. of Kroger's. It's also the same place you find the sriracha. It's ridiculous. They, <laughs> stick, they have Mexican cuisine. They have Chinese cuisine. It's so stupid. It's all in the same aisle. So dumb. Right, yeah. Shit, I, I, I would try it. I mean, I would eat it. <laughs> I would try it now, too. You know, and there's nothing that can't be made better with a little onions and a little garlic in yeah. it, too. So mm. I think that, that would be good. Mm. You know yeah. what? I have reversed my entire position on this. It's probably great. And with that controversy aside... Set, it's, we put it to rest. We're healing. We're peacemakers here. We're coming together. Coming together. Bridging the gaps. Of course. That's what we do here. This has been Bean Talk. Bean with Talk, Aubrey and, yeah. Aubrey and Powell. All Bean Podcast. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Um, do you have a bottle opener over there or something? Or I, need a I have one. <laughs> you know ryan was asking last week if we're always drinking um today we are today i'm having a saint arnold summer pills and what are you having danielle i got an orange show over here I, I, you know what i got an orange show another saint arnold's brew i am going to be drinking a glass of gin in a moment nice okay what <laughs> kind of gin new amsterdam i tell you what though we always support our sober friends of course, yes. So we could put a little content warning if you want. I'm yeah. also drinking. I'm also drinking a glass of water. Hey, there you go. There you <laughs> go. I also have water standing by. We support you in your sobriety, and mm. we love you. And it's okay to not drink, and that's great. We love you. I was going to bring up this thing as like Hellboy related stuff I've seen in pop culture. Oh. Uh, this past week. Okay. So everybody's. I hope everybody's familiar with Adam Savage. You know, former MythBuster. Oh yeah. Videos. Oh no, he's great. He has a YouTube channel called Tested, and he does a. He just does like one. He, these things called one day builds, where he like he'll build like a Lego set, or he'll build the thermal detonator from Star Wars. That sounds uh, really fun. <laughs> And because of the COVID-19 thing, he's been posting almost, almost every day. So I saw one this week, and he's just like, his one-day build was he modified his office door to add a window in it. But when he was done, he added the BPRD logo oh, wow, on, that's fun. on the door underneath it. So it was pretty awesome. Wow. I, mean, I didn't know he was a fan. Oh, yeah, he, no, no, he's, he's, he's made um he's made Rasputin's glove. Oh, that's he right, made the, he did. He made, uh, you know that picture of the Hellboy is holding the sword with the demon on it? Yeah. Oh, how and, could I forget? He made all that stuff. And yeah. he, he made he, that, too. He did a cosplay, too. Didn't he do a Hellboy cosplay? That I did with not With that did. sword? I didn't know that. He did. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That's so interesting. I totally forgot about the Rasputin thing. Adam Savage. Adam Savage. Adam Savage. <laughs> maker extraordinaire. Yeah. <laughs> and then also I was watching a popular sitcom here in the United States that's no longer airing where these four friends go into a comic book shop and the comic book shop prominently shows Hellboy and BPRD comics oh, on the walls. Nice. Nice. Which is pretty cool. I'll let you guys figure out which show it was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about 
Hellboy Wandering Souls. This is a short story that originally appeared in Hellboy Winter Special on January 27th, 2016. It is the Hellboy Universe debut of Chris Robertson and Michael Walsh. But we actually already got Chris Robertson because we read Rise of the Black Flame, which right. he co-wrote. Yeah. This is written by Mignola and Robertson and illustrated by Michael Walsh. Michael Walsh is an Eisner Award-winning Canadian comic book creator based out of Hamilton, Ontario. In 2013, Michael co-created the Image comic book series Comeback. After this, Michael launched a follow-up to the hit television series The X-Files for IDW. Yeah, The X-Files comic. Since then, he has worked with Marvel Comics on properties such as Star Wars, Spider-Man, The Avengers, and The X-Men, as well as adapting the Star Wars film The Last Jedi. And colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Clem Robbins. And the cover image that is used in the trade paperback version, which is what we're looking at, is actually a variant cover for the 2016 Winter Special by Michael Avon Oming. Yeah. Yeah, that is so awesome. Yeah, this cover it is... is slick cover. It's one of Oming's most... And you can tell, like, this is much further along in his career than what we've seen. And it's always, yeah. it's always amazing to watch your favorite artists evolve over time. And, I mean, this is just a fucking smash hit of a cover it's incredible yeah i actually don't have this variant cover i would love to get it it's really, really i gotta good. i gotta get it love oming sorry go ahead yeah we actually have an oming know, here on the wall so it's so awesome that's uh, what we want in the raffle craig mcknight so Hellboy yeah up against uh, a moon yeah it's so good it's really good we opened the story in sweetwater county wyoming in november of 1953 this is a real county in southwestern wyoming and we see Hellboy, Agent Susan Jang, who we met in 1952, and the local sheriff. Immediately, the first thing that I notice is the colors. Yeah. I mean, we talk about Dave Stewart constantly. I feel like I can't say enough good things about him, but and I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's just beautiful, so gorgeous. Everything is it's amazing. I mean, I can't... Yeah. I don't, you know, I wish I had more eloquent <laughs> words to... The fact that the color of the building, the color of the snow, the sky, everything just yeah. shadows the light. It's all there and it's all perfect. Yeah, shout out to Dave Stewart. He was nominated for an Eisner this week. Fuck yeah. Well yeah. deserved. Yeah. Well deserved. Yeah, and there were some other awesome BPRD people in there. Julian Tedesco was okay. also nominated. Hey, he yeah. did some of the Sledgehammer stories, uh, I think. Um, or no, he did a Hell on Earth story. Also... Um, David Mack was nominated. Nice. We're going to see a David Mack cover in this collection. God damn it. I thought there was somebody else that was related to the Mignola verse that was also nominated. I can't think of it now. But yeah, check out those Eisner nominations. Congrats to Dave Stewart and company. Absolutely. I wish I had the language to describe why I think this is fucking awesome. I just, you know. I'm... It's a beautiful page. Yeah. Yeah. I am yeah. who I am. And all I have to say <laughs> is this is fucking amazing. <laughs> This top panel, like, because, you know, we're looking at, I'm looking at it on the iPad. I just kind of zoomed in and just stare at it for a while because it's just, like you say, the colors and the composition. True mastery. Just, True mastery yeah, over, I mean, over his craft. I think that Mignola should, like, uh, sell this on his website on a canvas so I can hang it on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least a Jaclay watercolor print, for sure. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just, you know, if I'm going to dream, I'm going to dream big. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> sure. Why not? It's snowing pretty hard, and the landscape is covered. It's a real garden spot, all right, Hellboy says. Zhang is freezing, and the sheriff leads them to this creepy abandoned miner station. I gotta say, I'm right off the bat immediately envisioning 
Dan Aykroyd for this. Oh, for- <laughs> yeah. I really think he would fit well okay. in this role. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, I think he'd be good. Let me think about- I met him once. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Randomly, uh, his Crystal Skull vodka Winnebago was pa- packed outside my office. <laughs> what the fuck? 11 years ago. <laughs> wow. And that's I was, like, great. taking a picture of the van because I was like, oh, that's a cool thing. I love that vodka. And then he steps out. And I'm like, hell yeah, I, that's great. I, 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 and, yeah, and he's like, hi, I'm, I'm Dan. What's your Aww. name? I'm, I'm, I'm Aubrey. And I'm like, uh, and he's like, what do you do here? And I'm like, I work in this building. I don't do anything. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Two I mean, sweetie pies Dan, hanging out. Aykroyd. Genuinely sweet guy. Yeah. That's good. I mean, it's always nice to hear that. So, yeah, Dan Aykroyd for this guy. And then, uh, hmm. Agent Zhang. I know that Gong Li is like, she's like 50-something, right? But, okay, just hear me out. So is Ming-Na Wen, and she's like, she looks like she's 30-something. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I feel like also Gong Li looks like she's 30-something. <laughs> she totally pulled this off. Okay, yeah, let us know who you think yeah. would be a good casting for that. Sorry, I just like to cast people. Wait, you do like to do that. I'm unfamiliar with her. She was in Memoirs. But she's in a lot of shit like um, Raise the Red Lantern, Curse of the Golden Flower, Hannibal Rising, all kinds of shit. Oh, Raise the Red Lantern is a great movie. Yeah, so she's in a lot of shit. As they go into this creepy abandoned miner station, Hellboy says, nice. He says that a lot in these stories. I think it's so funny. As they talk, it seems like there's been sightings of something. And we get a backstory on how Jiang became involved. There's this like little brief flashback, but it's like she comes running in up yeah. the stairs at Broom right at the moment that he's debriefing Hellboy. And she's like, I need to go, sir. And she's all out of breath. And Broom's like, hmm. hmm. I love that panel. <laughs> That's, <good. laughs> That's a great panel. Can I just say also in the upper left panel, the um, light that's streaming through the... Oh, yeah. What a nice detail. Well, yeah, it's in the first panel, too. It's like coming off from this side. That's beautiful. It's really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's also in the next one, too. Oh, yeah, it is on the next one, too. We learn that Jang has been working with Dr. Sanhu since Brazil, the 1952 mission, to understand her flashes better, her visions. When she heard the Bureau was heading to Wyoming, all she knew was she had to go. As Hellboy and the Sheriff talk, we learn their sightings going back decades, and we see Boy Scouts and uranium prospectors being spooked by scary weird sounds and what looks like a ghost tiger. Yeah. I want to learn more about ghost tiger. Yeah. (laughs) Ghost tiger. Is that the theme for ghost tiger? I did steal the... The melody. I I stole that melody from uh, the Crossfire commercial from... Sorry about that. Uh, so the sheriff, he mentions the uranium prospectors. And so, of course, I had to go look this up on wyohistory.org. Wyoming has the largest uranium reserves in the United States with known occurrences in 20 of the state's 23 counties. In the 1950s, around this time, geologists hypothesized that uranium came from thick volcanic ash beds that covered Wyoming's landmass more than 35 million years ago. The beds were laid down by eruptions of ash from the once volcanic mountains that now make up the Absaroka Range in northwestern Wyoming. A geologist, J. David Lowe, further researched this theory and decided it was time to see if it would produce results. Later, along with his colleagues, he conducted on-the-ground fieldwork to confirm what he had noted as uranium hotspots. And so he mentions pumpkin buttes. These indeed had very impressive concentrations of uranium. The find was important geologically as it appeared to verify the hypothesis of ash source uranium deposits. 
In March of 1952, which was a year before this story, the federal government withdrew more than 65,000 acres of federal land in the Pumpkin Buttes area from availability for public entry, the staking of claims under the mining laws. As the sheriff mentions something about this, they hear a foreign language, and we get a green word bubble, so we know it sounds all weird. (laughs) Susan hears the voice, and she says, it's Cantonese. This is a variety of Chinese originating from the city of Guangzhou and its surrounding area in southeastern China. The voice is saying, where are they? Judas Priest, what in God's green earth is that, Dan Aykroyd says. (laughs) And so I did have to look up Judas Priest because obviously I think of the English heavy metal band that was formed in 1969 in West Bromwich, which I thought was interesting because Hellboy's from East Bromwich. So there's a connection there. I thought that was kind of Judas interesting. Judas Priest fucking rules. Oh. Also, you had to look up Judas Priest because it's Judas. No, I just wanted to know why he said, like, what is the origin of that phrase? And why, so, why is it a slang word? Exactly. Oh, why is it a slang word? Okay. And so Judas Priest is a swear. It is used on the theory that it is better to swear using the name of Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus rather than saying Jesus Christ. Right on. Yeah. So I didn't know that. That's what I wanted to look up. Oh, Jesus Christ, that's fucking weird. No, I'm <laughs> anyway, you can cut that out. No, I'm not. <laughs> Judas that was great. Nice. Thank you for okay, that. Okay, you can keep it in. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's also these scary Cantonese ghosts in the shadows. Okay. Yeah, and so I love the design of these. They're all kind of like green, and they've got long tongues, and it's just uh, super creepy. They're mostly in the shadows. Really nice work by Michael Walsh. Zhang says, the ghosts are trying to tell them something. Knock it off already. You're bothering people with this crap, Hellboy says. (laughs) And the ghosts kind of advance on him. But it's interesting that he initially he comes up with, ah, you've had your fun. Go back to where you belong. Right. And it's like, dude, could you read the fucking room for a second? (laughs) Like, and, you know, and she's like, they're trying to tell us something. Right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Kidding me here? Like, this is where he's still learning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. This is where he's still learning. And so they're, you know, first of all, you know, nothing about the fact that they're here is fun at all. Right. And so where they belong is a whole fucking other goddamn... Well, that's kind of the moral of the yeah, story, Yeah, that's what, right? exactly. And so it's that. like where you fucking belong. Like, so he, geez, on if you want to open up a can of goddamn worms. But on the surface, he's kind of right. They do need to go back to where they belong. No, that's what like, they're trying to but do. But what yeah. he's saying is very fucking insensitive. Yeah. And he has no idea. Like, you know, you can't treat... But it's like you said, he's in the learning phase of like you can't treat every ghost or apparition with you know host- right, with right. hostility sometimes you've got to work with they're what if they're there in the right and they're you know justly right you know these ghost protesters are like hey we were treated poorly you sure. gotta help us out here but also don't forget he's still only like what seven or eight years no old exactly yeah, yeah. for sure exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah and so, so so the later when we see him sitting down and talking with you know monsters or ghosts or whoever it is that's the learned hellboy right, that we yeah. know and love yeah. and this, i mean this is still the adolescent hellboy exactly yeah. yeah and if the scary cantonine ghosts weren't enough now the sheriff is possessed and he turns into like a monster creature with sharp teeth and he leaps at Jiang. I love this bottom panel as he's like jumping at her. I mean, Dan, Dan Aykroyd's stunt double. There you go, yeah. <laughs> and I love the BPRD logo on her shirt. Yeah, that no, like kind of retro it's style. Good. It's super cool. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, God damn it, Dan Aykroyd, just like in Ghostbusters 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, 
We'd like to shoot the monster. Could you move, please? Ray. 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 No. I, Ray, and Bingo shall rule the earth. Be calm, you pitiful halfman. Now. There's some great and humorous action beats here. Right, so Hellboy intervenes and he's like, settle down, cowboy. And so he's having to fight this monster. And as he's like going back and forth, Zhang is trying to communicate with the ghosts. And as Hellboy's fighting him, he's like saying, return them, return. Hellboy gets all slashed and bitten and he punches the ghost monster sheriff, but it just keeps coming at him. They must return, it says. I also notice like whenever he uses the right hand in these stories, it doesn't say boom. I wonder if like that's I don't know that's not something until he matures all the way or huh. something. There, there's a choice there, okay. you know, because I think in all these there's even in 1952 there was only one boom and it was when he hit the Ogdru him. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Hmm. Back with Jiang, she's able to learn that the ghosts were Chinese laborers that were used to mine the uranium, and then they were massacred by white miners for working more cheaply and putting them out of business. And so I did try to look this up, if there was any kind of history to this. I wasn't really able to find anything, but I wouldn't be surprised, unfortunately, you know, if something like that did happen. We do know, though, about all of the horrific injustices and genocidal fucked up bullshit that went on with the you know building of the railroad and and other things like that you know just all kinds of examples of this across american history of so it does kind of go along with that right yeah part of the historical fiction yeah you know well then also um i mean this is like a small town so the white people who did it just probably didn't put it in their history books right right yep there you go i mean where are our bones they asked yang and Zhang, she yells the information over to Hellboy. I like that panel where she's like shouting at him. She's like trying to tell him while he's still fighting the yeah. thing. He's like, any ideas as he's punching this thing to the side? Zhang has a flash over in one area. So a slightly more useful psychic than right, yeah. the one that we saw last. <laughs> Is he Kemper? Yeah. Oh, because he wouldn't work because it's snowing right now. He couldn't. Now. <laughs> he, he didn't have the ability to work when it's snowing. So she's a little bit more. They took her yeah. along. And, and so, that's why he's non-canon. Right. Oh, oh man. <laughs> so Hellboy uses the right hand of doom to smash through the floor and they find the bones. Unless there's another mass burial around here, Hellboy says, I think we found it. And so we see the ghosts, and they appear to Jiang and Hellboy. And they and all then, appear as, as people and yeah. not monsters. And Dan Aykroyd gets unpossessed. There you go. He's like, what happened? And they're like, later, Sheriff. And Jiang communicates with the ghosts, and she says, we'll send your remains back home. You will get the reverence and respect you deserve. I might have grown up in America, but I know what to do. You can trust me. And so the ghosts kind of like dissipate after that. In this last scene, we see them outside. And it looks like uh, one agent is giving Dan Aykroyd some hot tea or coffee or something to comfort him. He's got like a blanket around him. I like to think it's hot cocoa. Oh, there you go. I'm glad that he wasn't killed, though. You know what I mean? You would think that he would just be like... Normally in stories like this, that's how it goes. That's why I was comfortable casting Dan Aykroyd. (laughs) Like, we get him back. And we see Hellboy, he's all bandaged up from his fight with Dan Aykroyd in his monster form. And he says, just got off the phone with the professor. Once we've got these crated up, they'll be on the next plane to Shanghai. Immigrants used to ship their dead back to China, Zhang says, to be buried all the time. They thought burying them at home was the only way their spirits could move on. 
Was a lucky thing you got one of your flashes about this mission, Hellboy says. Could have gone a whole lot worse without you along to talk the ghost down. Seemed to come pretty natural to you too, chatting with the dead like that. Well, my grandmother told me these kinds of stories when I was growing up. In San Francisco, Shang says, there was some stuff that happened there I'd forgotten about. But now... And so we get this weird, ominous flashback, mm-hmm. right? We see, I guess she's a little girl, and somebody is protecting her in, like, this yellow and black striped robe. Well, and they those have, like, are symbols of the I Ching. Oh, okay. Uh, wow, yeah. okay. Tell me a little bit about that. So the I Ching uh, consists of 64 hexagrams, so they're all different lines and breaks that can be kind of roughly translated of, like, the Book of Changes, and it's like a divination text. It's one of the oldest Chinese classics. So wow. I actually have that. See that huge, giant, thick book right there? Yeah. That's the I Ching. Right nice. Man, you had two research assists last week, and now here you are coming in again. Yeah. You're going to start hosting the show. <laughs> yeah, but I do like that it kind of teases. Oh, and the person with the robe, they have this sword, and they're saying, the girl is under my protection, right? So there's something I there. I want to know more right? about yeah, this character. Yeah, instantly you're like, what the heck, yeah. right? And then we come out of the flashback, and she says, I guess some things won't stay buried. The end. I wonder if this is like, it's, I'm so curious now about this character. Like, I wonder if she somehow inherited this person's powers or something. Right. If this yeah. is how it works. I don't know. Like, is this one of her kind of, is this part of her backstory of how she got these powers? Like, what's yeah, going yeah. on here? So, and I mean, it fits it. If they, this character, whoever they are, has symbols of the Yijing on their coat or their jacket, like, that's a divination text. She's psychic. Right. I don't know, like, what... I don't know. There's something there. Yeah, I love that. I love that little tease, too. It's like, we're not going to tell you anything. No, exactly. But this is very typical of this universe. Yeah. You know what I mean? They do stuff like this all the time. So, yeah, that's exciting. This is a great character. Oh, yeah. I definitely want to see more of her. And I hope we do get to see more of her. Yeah. She's a, she's a great character. Super good. Well, then you're going to love this next story, Aubrey, that we're going to get to. This is Hellboy and the BPRD 1953, Beyond the Fences. This is a three-issue story published from February to April 2016, written by Mignola and Robertson, pencils by Paulo Rivera. Paulo Rivera is an American comic book artist. He is known for illustrating the Mythos series of one-shots and several issues of Spider-Man, as well as his collaboration with writer Mark Wade and his father, inker Joe Rivera, on Daredevil. And he teams up with his father, Joe Rivera. Also, for this issue, too, he does the pencils and Joe Rivera does the inks. I was actually thinking that that's actually kind of interesting because a lot of the artists that uh, Mignola works with, they always do their own inks, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of cool to see a, see a team, you know, pencil or an inker. Well, and, and, and it's like a father-son team. And it makes me think of, like, when he worked with Bon Moon, they were brothers. Even the yeah. Fumaras are brothers, too. Right. So I, yeah. I think that's interesting how he pulls these people that are kind of like related and work together yeah it's really nice and rivera does an amazing incredible cover for issue one here it kind of looks like a norman rockwell painting it kind of does yeah that's what i was gonna say it's it's beautiful and so there's these lines around hellboy there's one line at the bottom and two at the top and then there's a circle in the middle and these are very reminiscent of the covers to the Saturday Evening Post. At the start of his career, Norman Rockwell's secret ambition was to have his work published on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. <laughs> he viewed the Post as the greatest show window in America for an illustrator. 
Rockwell's career with the Post lasted 47 years. So if you go through and you just Google Norman Rockwell, Saturday Evening Post, there's tons of different covers of like different things of lifestyle. And a lot of times they have this circle in the background. So I think that Rivera is definitely channeling Rockwell. Yeah. And even down to the cover, all that's missing is Saturday Evening Post on the top. You know what I mean? And I was trying to see if there's a specific cover where there's little kids with a lost dog uh, (laughs) sign or something, but I couldn't find one. Well, it's part of the story. Yeah. But I was wondering if that was like a direct homage to something that Rockwell actually did. Oh, right. But um, there's Um, so much detail and the the little kids' faces and everything. You see the Life magazine back there. It's just beautiful. Is it Matt like a huge Norman Rockwell fan? Wouldn't would he know if this was an homage? Oh yeah, Matt would probably know. You know, there's a Norman Rockwell painting and it has a character in it that looks just like Matt. Wow. Like exact like scarily wow. exactly. Like you would look if you look at Matt and then you look at that picture, you're like, that's Matt in the picture. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. So yeah, we'll ask Matt. Maybe that's he knows wild. if this is a reference. We'll ask Matt, and then he'll come on the show and tell us all about it. I think we are going to team up with him again soon. There's also a really amazing variant cover for this issue by the great David Mack, who we're all big fans of and who I mentioned earlier, and we'll talk about that when we get to the sketchbook section. All right, so we open the story at the BPRD headquarters in Fairfield, Connecticut in December of 1953. This is a month after our last story. And we see Agent Jiang, and she's in session with Dr. Sanhu, who was alluded to in Wandering Souls. And Sanhu says, There will always be those who want us to fail, Susan, simply because we're women. Hoover never made things easy for you at your last job, I know. Despite my father's fortune, I had to fight my way out of a system that intended very different things for me. But Professor Broom recognized my value just as he recognized your talents. So you must overcome your doubts and allow those talents to flourish. Now tell me what you see. And she's holding up like a card. But she mentions her father. So if you think back to Rise of the Black Flame, that guy was named Sanhu. Yeah. And so he got involved with all this like paranormal stuff i wonder if he joined the bprd or if he became part of that and this is his daughter maybe because it seems like too coincidental for them to use the same last name right, yeah you know what i mean that's cool it's like interesting we have like another uh, dan Aykroyd kind of connection because these cards are reminiscent of the ones you see at the beginning of the first ghostbuster right oh, with bill okay, murray yeah hilarious yeah. those were hilarious scenes i love those scenes <laughs> I yeah. was thinking that same thing <laughs> just now. That's amazing, Aubrey. Thank you for bringing that up because I was thinking that. Think hard. What is it? Circle. Close. Spot definitely wrong. <laughs> so Zhang is, uh, she has to guess what's on the other side of the card. She's like an eye maybe. I don't know, something. And then all of a sudden she gets called on the intercom to meet with Professor Broom for a briefing. And so she's like, oh, I got to take a rain check on this. Of course, Susan, Dr. San, who says, your duties come first. And then we see the card. This is such a specific symbol. I guess the only way I would be able to describe it would just say that it's a trident. Yeah. So is that an eye in the middle, that little circle? Well, I wonder if it's like a metaphorically an eye. Oh, okay. Kind of a thing. I don't but know. But so is, is this a oh, real I, card? Do you know? I've never seen uh, anything like know. that. I've never seen okay, that symbol yeah. before. You said you... You thought it might have been a trident. I was thinking a candelabra. Okay, candelabra. There <laughs> it does you go. Kind of look like that. Sure. But that's what I'm saying. Is like, how would you like? A lot of these things are like, oh, three wavy lines, a circle, yeah, an X. Like this is a very specifically like some sort of sigil. Right. And so we saw that weird flashback in the last story, and now we get this too. Right. So it's kind of like, what does all this mean? I like that. 
We cut over to Professor Broom's office, and he's briefing Zhang, Hellboy, and longtime agent Stegner on a case of six missing children in as many days. Stegner seems to be the only one not taking it seriously. He's like, maybe they all ran away to join the circus. Yikes. He's pretty jaded, I think, after all that he's seen since 1947. On the seventh day, Broom says they found an adult victim mutilated. Cult activity, human trafficking, and even the Jersey Devil were among suspicion. We just saw an X-Files episode where they were talking about the Jersey Devil. I was about to say, they obviously had Mulder on the case there. (laughs) Second week in a row that we mentioned Mulder. Look. (laughs) Listen. We're on an X-Files kick right now. I... When am I not on an X-Files right. kick? <laughs> and Margaret gets mentioned again. You know, we don't see her, but um, she did appear in those 1940s stories. So we also get a nice look at Broom's office. And so, of course, I had to go back to the 1940s stories and compare. So in BPRD 1946, you get a good look at Broom's office. And yeah, I think that they did faithfully recreate it, or at least the stuff that's on the wall. Well, look, you even know. if he had rearranged it. That would yeah. be okay, because he's got a lot of stuff. Yeah, he sure does. So He wants to swap out his collection every once in a while. That's okay. I feel him. I like doing that myself. Yeah, yeah. just <laughs> as long as there's a lot of weird stuff in there. I'm okay with it. Broom says the local law enforcement has been instructed to provide any and all assistance they might require. And Hellboy, do try to make a good impression, Broom finishes. I'll do my best, Professor, Hellboy responds. Hellboy comes outside, and he's greeted by Mac, the dog. I thought this was so cute, and he's like shaking the snow shovel at Hellboy. So that makes me think like that's Hellboy's job, maybe. is like he comes out and shovels snow or something, right? <laughs> what the I would have thinking that it was more like a, some kind of toy. <laughs> oh, maybe he uses that. Because it, it's covered in snow out there. So I'm wondering, like, maybe Mac's just used to like, oh, Hellboy comes out here, and he shovels snow and plays with me. Right, well, yeah, it gives them room to play, I guess. I don't know. I was wondering. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting little bit of storytelling, just the fact that he brings Hellboy the snow shovel. Aww. And he's like, you can see that he's shaking it at him or something. You know, it's very cute. That is cute. We also see Hellboy's longtime friend, Archie. He's got to take care of the dog while Hellboy's gone. And they have a nice beat. It's like Max a troublemaker too. And he's like, oh, you know, your dog's always getting into stuff. Groundskeeper doesn't like him. Archie also mentions... Him and Broom's visit to the UK, which was when, it, which was in our last episode. And Hellboy's like, Archie, lay off. And he asks him to keep an eye on Mac while he's gone. Sure, kid, Archie says, but you'll owe me. Add it to my tab, Hellboy responds. I get some serious Phoenix Bruiser vibes here. Sure. It's like no one likes the dog except Hellboy. That's, you know what I mean? Who doesn't <laughs> fucking like dogs? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, the BPRD seems to hire a lot of people that don't like dogs. That is super weird. <laughs> they just don't have time. They're too busy. It's too serious. We don't no, have the, we don't, don't have time for dogs. That. I not having not having time for dogs and actively talking about hurting dogs are two completely different things. Right. And I honestly cannot think of a situation where I wouldn't have time for a dog. There is no situation in which I wouldn't stop what I was doing to pet someone's fucking dog. Yeah. What if you, 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 you wave at dogs when we're I walking? I will wave at a dog. I go, I who wave, are you waving yes, at? The dog. The dog. <laughs> of course. Because I love them. I do like the little expression that Walsh gives Hellboy here where he's like, add it to my tab. There's like that little, I like that. We cut to the exotic materials lab in California, and this is at Caltech. We'll actually look this up. There is a CSEM 
Caltech Division of Engineering and Applied Science. The center provides a number of exotic and futuristic materials and applications such as liquid metals, responsive gels, and tiny medical sensors. That's currently, but I assume that they would have something like that back in the 50s, too. And we see this nervous-looking red-headed guy coming out of the lab. A security guy spots him in the hallway, and he's surprised at first, but then he recognizes him and calls him Dr. Book. From their conversation, it's obvious he's not supposed to be there. I love the little body language as he's like pulling his collar. Well, yes, you see, I have a delicate experiment in the final stages, and it needs constant monitoring. He's trying to make excuses of why he's there. Yeah, his body language is definitely saying, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm right. guilty. <laughs> <laughs> and as he walks away, he opens his hand, and we see like a mysterious green gem rock in there. Mm. Hmm, what is that? I wonder if we've seen that before. First, I thought he was holding some fungus. Oh, yeah? But I mean, why would you hold fungus? But that would go <laughs> along. That would go along. Did you know right? Did you guess right away what it was? I thought it was fungus. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we cut to Rosemead, California. This is a real city in the Los Angeles County of California. And Zhang Stegner and Hellboy have started their investigation. And they're questioning this woman along with the local police. She says her cat went missing. Then Jerry went looking for her and never came home. And they've drawn quite a crowd. And so has Hellboy. These little kids approach him and they're like, excuse me, Mr. Hellboy. Just Hellboy kids. No need to stand on ceremony. And they bring him this copy of Life magazine. So if you remember way back when we read The Crooked Man, Tom Farrell said that he saw Hellboy on the cover of Life magazine. And here we see him. So Tom Farrell must have seen the little Hellboy because at this point he's been on the cover twice. And we know the second cover is from the previous year, 1952. That was the end of that series. And this is the moment where they made him a official citizen. Right. I love, 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 love the illustration of the little Hellboy. Yeah. With Mac, with a little Mac puppy. Uh, it's just super cute. Obviously, you got Mac in there. But then doing it right. Here's an example of doing it right. Hellboy's right hand. Humongous. Yes. It's so oh, huge. huge. Yeah. Humongous. Yeah, it's a great image. It's and so, really good. It's really I, good. I love the follow-up on that. I love the follow-up on now we get to see the Life magazine yeah. that he was on. And then uh, Hellboy's standing in front of a gigantic burning Nazi flag. That's another great image. Fantastic <laughs> love cover. It. Really good. That would be something cool, like uh, if like Skeleton Crew could make a replica, but they'd probably have to work out the licenses with Life Magazine or something like that. Oh right. yeah, that would be awesome. Life Magazine was an American magazine published weekly from 1936 until 1972, as an intermittent special until 1978, and as a monthly from 1978 until 2000. During its golden age from 1936 to 1972, Life was a wide-ranging weekly general interest magazine known for its quality of photography. And I love all this as Hellboy signing all the autographs and he's like, oh, what's your name? And there's this kid, he's like, did you ever fight spacemen and flying saucers? Or how about Wolfmans? Wolfmans. (laughs) It's werewolves, you goober, one of the kids says. Give you Wolfmans. (laughs) Wolfmans and werewolves are two different things okay those are two separate things (laughs) what's the difference between a wolfman's and a werewolf wolfman's retain somewhat of a human features in their face okay werewolves have a wolf face oh okay (laughs) this is true okay i love that yeah thank you so finally stegner has to call out to hellboy to stop playing movie star 
And as Hellboy walks off, he notices this kid who looks all upset, and he looks just like that guy Buke that, uh, yeah. just like that guy Buke that we saw sneaking out of the lab. He says his dog Buddy has been missing for over a week, and on top of that, he lost a gem from his dad's workshop. Jeez, I do like the dog name of Buddy as yeah. a choice because it's like that is a Aww. that is a typical dog name, right? Oh, buddy, <laughs> come here, Buddy. Definitely something a, a, like a kid would pick out. For yeah, a dog. yeah. Hellboy comforts the kid and says the dog will turn up and will find his buried treasure before he knows it. What an ironic statement for him to make right here. Yeah, <laughs> He's like, we'll find your dog soon. Yeah, sure, y'all are going to find oh, it. Oh, <laughs> terrible. Terrible. I don't like terrible things happening to dogs. Yeah. Can I just say that? I really don't fucking like that. As Hellboy catches up to Jiang and Stegner, they talk to the officer. He leads them to where he found the body. Hellboy notices that there's no birds or bugs around at all. The officer, he reveals the location where he found a human leg. And we get this grisly scene as a flashback. He thought it might be a mountain lion or a bear. I like the little Spidey Sense lions over his head. Oh, yeah, that little detail. Yeah, I do like that. I mean, I guess they're not technically Spidey Sense kind, but the three little dots. Yeah, just what you can convey with three little lines, right? That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So we've got missing pets, then missing kids, and then missing adults, all in the span of a week and change, Hellboy says. Maybe they just got bored living out here in the suburbs. Couldn't blame them, Stegner responds. And so Zhang gets mad at him about that. As they argue, Hellboy finds the broken dog collar of Buddy. Buddy, what'd you get into? He says to himself. And he puts it in his pocket. Just then, Dr. Book shows up. And when he sees Hellboy and the agents, he bolts. Leave me alone. How about that? Stegner responds. You say where he drives into his driveway and the kind of driveway he has was has like two strips and then the grass in between him. Oh yeah. yeah. I fucking hate those driveways. Yeah. <laughs> On a purely aesthetic level, plus also oil and shit could leak into it. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that's a fifties thing. Yeah. It no, must be. no, I, I've seen it recently. Uh, if we're talking it, about aesthetic though, this car. Yeah, I should have looked up the car. I actually don't know what kind of car that is. I should have put it out to our social medias, but someone give me in the listener feedback. We we already know I'm not a car guy, so tell me what kind of car it is. I'm going to guess since a Studebaker, but I'm probably completely wrong. Okay. Hellboy gives chase to Dr. Book. I never meant to go through with it, he yells. Now, what's the big idea, Hellboy says. (laughs) I love that kind of phrasing, Yeah. yeah. I just needed money, Dr. Book says. I'm no traitor. And then Stegner recognizes the guy from somewhere. And Book hands the piece of Ankelodite to Agent Zhang. And she immediately has one of her visions. Well, she guesses. She's like, oh, is it like, is it Trinitite? She immediately is like familiar yeah. kind of with like the structure of it. She identifies it as something that might be Trinitite, which is not far off. No, she's right on. All, yeah, but yeah. it's a very fucking specific thing and this the panel that happens next is so fucking creepy yeah i was super creeped out by that obviously we have the next the reveal the, the reveal of this huge fucking splash page double splash page or whatever the fuck of the ankelodite being formed and then the you know obviously the gateway opening up and all this shit yeah and so you see like the 
atom bomb going off in the background. And so at this point, did you guys snap back and go, oh, yeah, yes. 1947, the died and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right, right when she said Trinidite and then and all of a sudden she touched it. Yeah, that's when I was like, oh, and then I flipped the page. And I was like, oh, my God. Yes. It's so good. Yeah. And this is amazing work by Rivera here on this double splash page. We see all those monsters from 1947. And I think this is Anders, right? Anders is this one over here okay. in the black with a backpack. Very cool. Yeah, I have to post some nice comparisons of that during our post this week. As Zhang recovers from her vision, she tells them what she saw and that Stegner was there. Sure, yeah, that's where I know this Joker from, Stegner says. He was one of the eggheads mixed up with that business. And so I actually went back and looked, and in one of the panels in 1947, there is a guy that looks like Dr. Book. He only appears like in one panel. It's like when all the scientists are talking and stuff like that, but he is in there. And so I love that they went back and they said, let's find a guy to put in this story. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's actually pretty awesome. Yeah, I like when they go back and they, you know, it's almost like they leave these little things there so they can come back to. Book realizes that they didn't even know about the Enkelodite. The officer doesn't want to take Book since he has an alibi and seems unconnected to the missing kids, but Stegner presses him with his federal agent authority. I like this panel, too, where Hellboy's like, and Kelodite, huh? <laughs> when I when I read that panel uh, earlier, I was, for some reason, I read it in Homer Simpson's voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The agents get ready to go back to the hotel and grab some food. And as they head out, the kid sees Book in the back of the cop car. Dad, he says... So they're related, right? And they look exactly the same, too. And we also see this shadowed man in black. Book, you fool, he says to himself. Over at the hotel, the agents get ready to get back to work. Zhang is still a little shaken up, but says she'll be fine. And Stegner arms up with his gun. Look, if we're dealing with anything like we saw back in Utah, I think we're all a little far from fine, he says. And as they head out, I really love this scene as they walk through the neighborhood. You know, it's nighttime and there's very limited lighting. There's like the light coming from the house. There's the light coming from the lamppost and their flashlights. It's all very well done. I just really enjoyed looking at that, the way that they do the shadows and everything. Paulo and Joe Rivera, they do a great job on this page. Oh, totally agree. I like how that you see them like closing their curtains in their windows right everybody's watching them and hellboy's like can't say i blame them yeah and a big guy with horns walking down the street is sure to put them at ease right stegner says hadn't you heard stegner zhang responds hellboy's famous (laughs) and she shines her flashlight on him i love that pacing right there because in the previous panel we see her taking the flashlight out and then there's the click and it's right on hellboy's face that's cute yeah Oh, I didn't notice this before, but I love the design of the the flashlight. That's like old military style flashlight. Yeah, very cool. They approach a housing development under construction. Zhang uses the Enkelodite as bait to lure out whatever they're looking for, which Stegner thinks is a bad idea. Hellboy asks Zhang if she's okay, and we get some exposition on her character and powers. Hellboy says, last year in Brazil... You only got flashes when you touch certain objects. What did Doc Sanhu call them? Psychometric visions? And we get a nice flashback to 1952. We see the Ogdruhem that they encountered and those monkey monsters that Von Klempt had made. And then he's kind of describing how it's ramped up to, oh, you're getting these feelings in, you know, from across the country. That's, right. that's got to take some getting used to kind of a thing. And that's interesting. Yeah. Like I never really thought about like how it had ramped up 
so uh, intensely. Right, because she ran up to Professor Broom and she was like, I have to go I on this go mission. Yeah, this, yeah, so she already knew from all the way over there. So that's, it's some good, like, you know me, I'm always the first one to make fun of, like, exposition. Right. They're they're really flushing her out, and I think that that's, I like that. that's yeah. useful. Yeah. yeah. And so it's not entirely, like, a lot, a lot of exposition can be super fucking ham-fisted, but I don't really find it to be the case here at all. Well, and on the next panel, Zhang mentions that she had some unusual experiences when she was a kid. And we saw that. I want to hear more about this. Yeah, that's kind of that teaser, you know? She says she's been getting used to it for a while. I like that too because it's kind of like, how did she become so powerful so quickly? Well, she's like, I've been getting used to this for a long time. You know, this isn't just like since last year. Exactly. The agents aren't finding anything, and Stegner calls it a wild goose chase. And I like that phrasing, and I just wanted to look it up. Early recorded use refers to a type of 16th century horse race where everyone had to follow the erratic course of the lead horse, like wild geese have to follow their leader in formation. Mentioned in 1593 by the English poet Markham in a book about horsemanship. Also mentioned in the William Shakespeare play Romeo and Juliet, Mercutio says... Nay, if our wits run the wild goose chase, I am done. Yeah. Geese tend to fly in a pretty orderly fashion. Wouldn't it be more appropriate to, you know, because, you know, starlings, they do those murmurations, those like, it's almost like a fractal type of deal. Like it's very, you know, it's beautiful, but it's, you know, so wouldn't it be more of like a wild starling starling chase? chase? whenever Whenever I hear the phrase wild goose chase, all I can think of is a very wholesome and goofy, like, <laughs> the goose is running around and honking and you're trying to, you know, get him into the farmhouse for the night right, so he's right. nice and toasty warm, but he just wants to run around and play. And I think of this a very, like, goofy scene. Well, and like, I think that that's the point of it. You're supposed goose. to think that because yeah. if Wild Goose Chase is a fruitless endeavor, sure. that it is not worth the amount of time that it takes to do it. <laughs> so I think that's exactly what you're supposed to envision. Yeah, maybe that, but maybe that's why that they don't use Starling because goose is just funnier yeah yeah i, I, I like hear the benny hill music or absolutely whatever, right? a thousand percent yes i just want to say i love the fact that you looked up the uh where the wild goose chase phrase come from yeah because i've heard it a zillion times over my life and i'm always like oh yes that means you're doing something wrong but <laughs> yeah yeah but no the, I, but, I just had to look at john up. john with the research yeah <laughs> i never really thought about it i always just kind of figured like yeah you're you're chasing after a goose right. for some reason because they won't go into the barn or whatever which is weird because it's a horsemanship it started out as yeah, a horsemanship term which has nothing to do no. with geese <laughs> they can't find what they're looking for but jang feels something strange uh guys i think it found us hellboy says and so we reveal Boo. this giant monstrous dog Definitely not a mountain lion, Hellboy says. I was trying to look at this. I think it kind of looks like an Afghan hound. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So they blast at it, but the bullets just bounce right off it. And I love as they start firing, like the whole color palette changes, yeah. even though it's at night. I really love the pacing of these panels here. And just the these action beats are really well done. And here I'm thinking, oh... You know, they found the dog. Everything will go back to normal soon. They'll find a way. They'll find a solution. And, and, he'll, and the kid will get the dog back. Right. It'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> and it's because we read that Hellboy weird story. Can I just say how <laughs> fucking upset I am that they chose to do something terrible to this fucking dog and then not, not reverse it? Well, even with uh, 
The, sh- the Dan Aykroyd character in the last thing that we oh, read. Oh, yeah. He went he back, went to, back normal. to normal. <laughs> I was thinking, like, surely. Surely they right, would. You know, right. I feel like you could have reversed that, and I'd be okay well, with well, that. Well, I mean, think about it. They're tying it to the Enkelidite stuff. Yeah. And so that mutated all those animals, yeah. you know, in 1947. Horrible. Like all the horses and stuff like that. And sure. th- they never went back no, to normal. of course, yeah. of course. So I just, like, I really, it just sucks. Or, like, um, those dogs at the beginning beginning of return of the master mm. when he's coming off the airplane and then they mutate and- oh right yeah the security mm-hmm. dogs yeah. i forgot about that like you were saying earlier he's punching with the right hand but it doesn't make a boom sound it makes a smash right right onomatopoeia here. yeah so in the action beats here the dog actually gets over on stegner and well, let's call it's the monster let's call it a monster the monster yeah, yeah. He, he knocks aside Stegner and Jang, and then he comes at Hellboy, and Hellboy tries to fire like straight in his mouth, which I think is interesting because Abe did that too. Remember, Abe was able to take out those hammerheads by doing that. So I wonder if that's like part of the training, or maybe it's just a gut instinct. But it bites down on his regular hand, and then that's when he uses the right hand of Doom. So I think like Hellboy, you know, he's a dog lover. And yeah. so I think at first... You know, he he doesn't use the right hand of Doom until he absolutely has to. Well, I guess he was already shooting at well, it. Well, he's not anyway. going to... I don't think he would fire on a dog. That's why I said, like, it's a monster, it's a monster at this yeah. point. He would never... You know what I mean? And after Hellboy gets it with the right hand of Doom, it, like, goes off all injured into the dark. And Hellboy wants to keep going after it, but Jang and Stegner are too banged up. They say they need medical attention and reinforcements. Slackers. <laughs> so we cut to the local jail, and we see Book. He's being held, and we see the ominous man in black that we saw earlier. Book calls him Moravec. He says, "My associate and I put a lot of faith in you. A great deal hinged upon you delivering what you promised us, and yet, after so many delays, here we are." Book says, "It wasn't my fault." When the first sample went missing, it took time to get my hands on another, but I haven't told them anything, I swear. So it kind of goes along, the kid was like, I lost my dad's gem, and so that's how the first one went missing. When the kid told his story to Hellboy, I was like, okay, the monster's his dog, the dog ate the Lancalidite, and Right. now we're going to have to deal with it. I know that you haven't, nor will you, Morvik says, and then the light flashes out. The next morning... The officer brings Book his breakfast, and he's dead. And get a load of this, one of the cops says. And they open up his shirt, and we see on the inside he's got like a burned hand. It kind of looks like a handprint, right? Yeah, it does. It kind of made me think of like, you know, like old Kung Fu type movies where it's oh, like, right. you know, the, the one punch to the heart or the mm. thing can kill Bill, the five-finger death punch thing. Well, it made me think of like when people get struck by lightning. Sure, Have yeah. you ever seen the wounds that they get? They kind of right. look like oh, this. Oh, that's actually way more. Yeah. Active. Back at the school, we see the principal there, and he's welcoming Miss Fox. She's a substitute. Seemingly, a lot of teachers and regular substitutes are all ill. Miss Fox says she's new in town and was hoping for work. And we see Book's wife and son. They're approaching the school. And the mom, she tells the kid, we learn his name is Julian, not to say anything about their dad being arrested. Oh, Marie, a voice says. Did I see your husband leaving with the police last night? And we see this lady, Harriet, come up. Jeez. I love her body language, too. She's so obnoxious, yeah, right? <laughs> Super obnoxious, for sure. She's got very Karen vibes to her. While she's talking to Marie, we see Miss Fox in the background watching them. And Marie says, yes, Harriet, I'm sure it's a misunderstanding, though. 
I'm going to the station straight from here to see about his release. And she's like, glad to hear it. Say, that reminds me, did I tell you about this book I've been reading? It's called Babylon Rising. And it's all about how learning is our real problem and that the trick is unlearning. (laughs) So I had to look this up. Babylon Rising. There are four novels in Tim LaHaye's fiction series, Babylon Rising. Each novel has to do with the hero, Michael Murphy, a college professor, and his struggles to find an artifact that could prove the Bible correct. Murphy must deal with the Seven, an evil group, bent on creating a one-world religion, government, and currency. And Talon, a man with knife-like fingernails on one prosthetic finger who carries out the Seven's orders. All right. (laughs) Was there some weird Uh, cult religion thing around this book, Aubrey? uh, I don't know about the cult religion thing, but I do know that white supremacist groups preach about against a one-world government type thing oh okay so maybe it has something to do with that wow yeah i mean maybe the book itself might not but they may have misinterpreted it the wrong way or it may have been straight up because this is the 1950s you never know right but i think this lady is so funny she's like first i'm gonna call out about your husband being taken by the police and also let me tell you about this book that i've been reading Fuck. Oh, these funny little character moments. I really like how they insert these into the stories. The principal tells Miss Fox that he's concerned with all the chaos being raised by the missing kids. First the police, and now the army is moving in. Not the army, Fox says, as she sees the BPRD agents and Hellboy getting out of the car. When I saw her and she said not the army, I started getting real vivara vibes oh yeah exactly right she knows more than she's supposed to and yeah her whole kind of um, presentation is a little suspicious the agents meet up with sheriff henderson they've brought in officers from surrounding communities to find this dog creature and they figure it's in the stand of trees or hold up in the barn and so they all get their guns and everything, and they load out. So there's some really nice mood setting here as they're walking through this stand of trees. I really like just the color work and the pacing as they're going through this. And Stegner finds a giant dog print in the dirt there. Zhang comes over and she's like, let me see. And so she touches it and she gets one of her visions. And she sees the dog and it says, tired, sleep, inside. So she's like, oh, it was returning from a hunt, looking for somewhere to take shelter. I like this little insight into what her visions are and like what kind of input she gets from them and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that is super interesting. And I feel like at this point, it's still kind of a dog tendency because my dogs are like that. They're tired, sleep inside. <laughs> you know, That's what they tell you, right? One of them, like when he wants to go to bed, he'll start whining at me and he's like, let's go to bed and so he keep blindly follow him to the bedroom and i'm like i'm like okay buddy you can get in bed i'm going back out here <laughs> watch tv <laughs> it's only seven o'clock dude. right they go and they check out this barn and as they approach hellboy tells the sheriff and his men to go look for more tracks they'll go into the barn Stu segner come on he says and i love the lighting too as they approach the barn because the barn is dark and as they're approaching it, Hellboy's like all in shadow from that side. I just really like that. And it kind of sets up this like, ooh, ominous, creepy barn. What's in there, right? Oh, yeah. And as they enter with their guns drawn, Hellboy finds some sort of skin rug. And he like kind of picks it up with his gun. And he's like looking at it, There's like flies all around it. Damn thing molted like a snake, Hellboy says. I like the flump as he like drops it on the ground. The big, heavy, gross skin. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Stegner I'm, says, we like "Go a ahead." Good flump. I, was, I say at this point, I think it's definitely no longer a dog. Right, yeah, obviously. Stegner says this is different from what they saw in Utah. And Zhang says the motivations still feel like a dog, like a pet. And there's some great pacing here. Hellboy takes a match out of his pocket. So it's a mutant dog instead of an invader from Dimension X. He lights it on his right hand of doom, and then he lights his cigarette. What difference does it make? We still... And then they hear a gunshot. Aw, crap, he says, and they run outside, and then we reveal, there's this, I love Hellboy's expression as he just stares at this thing. We reveal this gross-skinned monster thing. It's like a quadruped, like a dog, but it's just like a skinned purple monster, and it's very reminiscent of those 1947 monsters. And this, the thing that really gets me about this is like around the mouth, like the skin is going Uh, back even more. Oh, man, that's a very, just gruesome detail. I can't. It's like a, a hairless dog and a lizard. There you go. Yeah, that's combined kind of what it looks together. Like. Yeah. And so the sheriff and his men are all firing at it, and Jang says that those guns aren't going to do anything. Hellboy runs back inside with an idea. And Stegner and Zhang just fire at it as well, but it doesn't seem to be helping. And then the monster's like chomping down on all the cops, too. Henderson, have your men fall back, Zhang says. That's what I'm trying to do, but... And then it eats Henderson also. God damn it, Stegner says. Hey, ugly, Hellboy yells. You need a leash. And he jumps at it with this giant chain that he found in the barn. And he kind of like wraps it around his neck. And he goes flying as the thing runs off. I really love the pacing here. I just love Hellboy hanging off the side of this monster as it goes running towards the barn. They crash in there. And Hellboy gets pinned under the giant paw of the beast. Aw, come on, Hellboy says. Sit, stay. And suddenly the creature stops, and it turns his head. It hears the sound of the school bell going off. There's like a beat where they're all wondering what to do, and the monster is just looking at Hellboy, and then it turns and it heads in that direction, almost running over Stegner and Zhang. So I wonder if, like... Maybe the dog would always go meet the kid when he got out of school or something, and so that's why the bell ringing draws it, or maybe is it just any sound? No, actually, I think it's the um, definitely the school bell drawing it, drawing it to him, because it's probably a, uh, a memory from its past life. Right. He would, hear, he would hear the bell, and he would know that his person is coming out of school, and he gets to see him again. Right, uh, right. Because dogs are pretty smart like my dogs they're sleeping 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 all of a sudden like they wake up and they're like oh it's walk time let's go on a walk (laughs) they Uh, know those routines they do dogs dogs love routines so we get a page of the dog of the monster kind of running off and smashing through everything and stegner comes to help hellboy are you all right kid he asks I'll live, Hellboy says. Which way did it go? Back towards the school, Zhang says. That ain't good, Hellboy says. And this bottom panel is amazing. I love the detail on Hellboy's face. Really well done. We see all the school kids going out, including Julian, Dr. Book's son. He's getting flack from the other kids about his dad, too. They're like, oh, maybe the cop snabbed your pop because he got all those kids. That's why they locked him up. And then this little girl says, what's that? And then we just see the monster coming at all the kids. This is terrifying, right? I mean, God, those little kids are all crying and running away. This is bad and awful. Yeah. 
you know, honestly, I'm 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 a 45 year old adult. I'd probably be crying to run. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrifying scene here. I really love this splash page. As all the kids are running away, Julian stands frozen. Buddy, he asks. And there's just absolute chaos here. This lady is picking up two kids and running with them. All these kids are running and crying and screaming. And the monster is getting ready to chomp down on this little girl. And just as its jaws are coming down on her, that's far enough, Hellboy says. And he punches upwards with the right hand of doom. And as they fight on this page, I really love the choreography, right? You don't think about that a lot. The choreography of how they have to put together these fight scenes. But... He like punches it and then he swings again and then he like scoots back. He's like, nope, as he like kind of misses the chomp of the monster. I just really enjoy that. And one of these little kids, he's like, look at that. He all wants to watch, you know, Hellboy fighting. I like the little girl. So she's like, what are you dummies standing around for? Let's <laughs> yeah. get out of here. As Hellboy fights the thing, we get a great action here. We have another right hand of doom crack and Julian tries to run off too, but he trips and he twists his ankle. I hope he just twisted it. I, I, was thought, I was thinking he broke it. Oh, maybe he did, yeah. In the aftermath of the chaos, Stegner and Zhang try to clear the area. And I love this second panel where you kind of see the monster going off in the background. There's something where they pull way out that I really like. It like just lends that sense of scale. It, it seems a little bit more real when they do shots like that. Agreed. Zhang is doubtful they can take the thing down without an airstrike. But Stegner thinks Hellboy's got it under control. Nah, give the kid a chance, he says. And so I like that. He's so pessimistic and he's just been blowing off the whole thing. But at this point where it kind of like comes down to what they need to do with the plan, he's like, Hellboy got this. You know, he can take care of this. And it makes me think of 1947. You know, there's a scene where Stegner's leading Hellboy, little baby Hellboy, down the hallway by the hand. You know what I mean? So he does have a relationship to Hellboy, even though he's just kind of like full of hot air most of the time. He uses the humor to kind of being able to cope with the situations that he has to deal with. But when it comes down to it, he, he knows what he's doing. And we cut to the all the teachers from the nearby school. They're all watching the chaos. And we see Miss Fox. She spots Julian on the ground nursing his ankle. And she says, Chort, as she takes off her glasses. And so that literally means your mother. But it is rarely used with a direct meaning it's Russian, and it often just means damn. Over with Hellboy, he's like, bad dog. And he's kind of like trying to choke the thing. He's got the monster from around the neck. When he's around the neck, it looks like the monster dog is doing that whole scratching yeah. thing with his paw. And he's like trying to just, because I see my dogs you know, try to get things off of them. Yeah, I love that. That is very, uh, that's behaviorally accurate, I guess, right? And he manages to knock Hellboy off there. And then Hellboy goes flying through the air, smashing into this house. Great pacing there. And I love, like, you almost see the palm of the right hand, but Rivera obscures it with the debris there. I wonder if that's, like, part of the, you know, part of the note or whatever. You know, never show the inside of the right hand on that bottom panel. Well, there's one right here. Oh, I guess you do see it in the top one. Yeah, yeah you do see it there. no-no right there. So. Well, it got past everybody. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. <laughs> I guess he was like, it's all right. <laughs> So the monster dog, Buddy, he looks over and he sees Julian, and then he starts going towards him. And he looks almost like a T-Rex here. He's so ginormous. Oh, man, you're so right. It does kind of look like that scene in Jurassic Park where the T-Rex is chasing the vehicle. Yeah. And Jeff Goldblum's like, faster. Let's go faster. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
and we see Hellboy coming out of the wreckage of the house, and he lifts off this giant post. Which, coincidentally, is where the lost dog picture was. Yeah, it's got the lost dog flyers on there. You can see that. He spots the monster canine about to chomp down on Buddy. Hey, kid, move, he yells. And then, so this is probably the weirdest part of the comic, right? Suddenly, this black and white wolf jumps out. Yeah. And it starts attacking the monster, and it bites into it. Releasing all this green ooze. Yeah, so what is that about? I, don't, I have no idea. It's the substitute teacher. Right, yeah. So she said, damn, and she was taking off her glasses like she was going to do something. And then we see this black and white wolf. So I thought that was so interesting. I'm like, huh. I, I will admit, like, I had to go back. I mean, I was, once the scene was over and they talk about it, I was like, wait a second. I had to go back because I was like, oh, that's like two pages ago. And like, no, it's like a million pages right <laughs> the action is just so well paced that flows so well yeah you realize how many pages you've gone through since she was all like damn <laughs> that's a good way to describe it exactly meanwhile stegner and Zhang rescue julian the wolf gets thrown aside and now the monster buddy is coming after stegner and jiang it's right on top of them and then all of a sudden slunk hellboy stabs the monster through the head with a post. The lost dog flyers that were on it all fall away. Play dead, Hellboy says. Really incredible monster work here by Rivera. Um, there's just so much detail in this. And yeah, it's pretty It's pretty epic. In the aftermath, we see the corpse of the thing melting away. And Zhang has to go over and get a sample for the lab boys. She's actually putting the research into Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense, right? We never actually see them doing the research. <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess a couple times, yeah, but it's mostly action. As she gets the sample in the vial, we get this one page of all the visions that she has. She has these three visions. And so I really wanted to talk about this. So first in the top vision, we see a very familiar Ogdruhem monster, right? And all these people are like worshiping it with candles so that's the same Ogdruhim that we saw in 1952 we also saw it in tony masso's finest hour and we also saw it in witchfinder beware the ape so they're ramping this thing up to be something right oh yeah and so aubrey did you did you recognize anything in this second panel i feel like i should have it was racking my brain and i couldn't figure it out okay no it was racking my brain too actually it had to do a little bit of research what about you danielle did you recognize anything in that panel i mean no so this was a long time ago this was back when we read hellboy conquer worm but if you remember when we read that story hellboy encounters one of those aliens in the it's all chained up and it oh, gi- yeah. and it gives hellboy a little square shape like that oh, yeah. to stop the conquer oh, worm oh, yeah. And he, wow. when he gives it to Hellboy, he says, here's a trap from where there is no escape. But when they try and use it against the Ogdruhem, him and Roger, Von Klemp's robot body crushes it before they can use it. Okay. So we never actually get to see what it does in that story, but it looks exactly the same. Wow. And so we knew that alien guy, he looked like a soldier and then he looked like an alien. So maybe this is an alien guy disguised in the suit here. I thought that was interesting. And then this bottom panel, we see Hellboy fighting some guy with lightning powers. And so we saw that guy Moravec, he left like a lightning scar on Dr. Book, right? And he's got like some weird bad tattoos on him. (laughs) Yeah, so I love those teases. They're like, oh, here's what's going to happen, or here's some 
mysteries to throw out there, some connections for you to find. Let us know if there are any connections that I missed with those references there. After Zhang has her vision... This top panel with her eyes and the lightning in it, I think that's such a neat look. Yeah. Yeah, because she like, that's the last thing that she saw. Yeah, but it isn't like, you know, the lightning is just in her people. It's like covering her whole eye. Right. So cool. It's an interesting choice, yeah. Sue, you okay, Hellboy ass? What'd you see this time, Stegner asks. Winning lottery numbers, I hope? It was a lot to take in, she says. It'll take some time to digest. And then we just see the ruined aftermath of this dog monster. It's oozing all that green stuff all over the street, and they've got it all cornered off. Gross. So we get this mysterious debriefing page with these Russian people, right? We see the woman, I guess this was Miss Fox, right? When she was in disguise. And mm-hmm. she asked for that guy, Moravec, who was the mysterious man in black that killed Dr. Book with his lightning powers. Who also has the same tattoos as the guy from the last page. Right, right. So he's going to go up against Hellboy at some point, we surmise, right? Were you able to get your hands on the Enkelodite, Rahel? He asks. Or did you grow tired of the brats and eat one of them? So that also made me think of the wolf, right, I guess. Why would why would he say that? Well, if... you have bad tattoos. So... Right. <laughs> I had hoped that we might succeed through the sun when the father failed, she says. But alas, no. There was an incident, and I had to break cover. But when our American counterparts arrived, I had no choice but to withdraw. I'm sorry to have missed that, Moravec says. I would like to see their inhuman thing with my own eyes. I'm not sure you are the best judge of what is and is not human, Valentine, she responds. I had my fill of order and tidiness in the Red Army, Moravik says. I prefer a little chaos. And the Red Army was a common name for the Russian National Military Forces from 1918 to 1946, which is also known by the abbreviation RKKA, Workers and Peasants Red Army. The name refers to the color red, in the workers' movement, red symbolized the bloodshed in the struggle against oppression. Nice. But you are a bit out of order yourself, comrade Rebane, Moravec says. You've got something on your collar. And so she's got some of the goo from the mutant dog or whatever. And I guess that's when the wolf bit down on it. Ah, yes, as I said, there was an incident. No matter. But she will not be happy to hear of our failure. Perhaps, Moravik says, but perhaps it will not matter. We might not need to worry about her for much longer. With Stalin dead, Khrushchev clearly doesn't trust her. There may be changes coming at the top and soon. And so he mentioned Stalin. We already mentioned Stalin in our Weird Tales episode. Oh, I thought I had put what Khrushchev was in here. He was the uh, head of the, the USSR after Stalin. Yeah, I thought I'd put the trivia in here. I guess I forgot to copy it because I did look at it. Have a care, Valentine, she responds. We still have a mission to perform, and she could be listening to us even now. And then we see who she is, Ah, Zavara. Yeah, and we see her laughing in this bottom panel. And just the way it's framed, too, like all the panels are against the black, and then she's like in this black void at the bottom. I was so excited when I saw her because I felt like, oh, my gut opinion was right. (laughs) Right. And she showed up at the end of the last episode, too. In 1952, she showed up at the very end. And then now here she shows up at the very end of 1953 also. We cut to the police station. And Julian and his mom are there. And they're being informed of their father, Dr. Book's death. Hellboy is also there. And it looks like he's debriefing with the sheriff. 
And as he's getting ready to leave, he notices Julian and the mom. And they're all upset, right? Well, apparently her husband died. Right, yeah. They're getting the news of that. And then that kid lost his dog. And it's just in the most worst horrific way possible. Well, and never would have seen coming. And it looks like his ankle was broken. His ankle's broken. Yeah. His dad's dead. All this bullshit's going on. As they walk out, Hellboy talks to Stegner. No way, that was a heart attack. Somebody got to Book before he could talk. Guy insisted he wasn't a traitor, which is the kind of thing that traitors usually say, Stegner says. He was planning on selling that in Keladai to somebody, right? But who even knows this stuff exists, Zhang says. I thought the whole thing was classified. What I want to know is... How did Book even get his hands on this stuff, Hellboy asks. Did he really hang on to it since Utah in 1948 without any trouble along the way? Or is there more to it than that? And as they drive off, Stegner's like, hey kid, take a look. And there's these little kids, and they're playing. And one of the kids is like, take that, you Nazi rat. And he's got goggles on his head and a red boxing glove. I'll say this, though, that's insulting to rats. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the other kid's like five more minutes then it's my turn to be hellboy Aww. so he's supposed to oh, be hellboy the, yeah, yeah i love the little it's the right hand of doom cute. and then the goggles are the horn stubs oh, i like man. that because a lot of people in the early 90s thought that they were goggles on top right. of his head how's it feel to be a living legend stegner asks stick to driving stegner hellboy responds and leave the jokes to don rickles the end <laughs> And I do want to mention the late Don Rickles was an American stand-up comedian, actor, and author, especially known for his insult comedy, a headline performer at Las Vegas Hotel Casinos, and peripheral member of the Rat Pack via his friendship with Frank Sinatra. Rickles received widespread exposure as a frequent guest on talk and variety shows, and later voicing Mr. Potato Head in the Toy Story franchise. He won a Primetime Emmy Award for the 2007 documentary, Mr. Warmth. The Don Rickles Project. Over on page 139 in the digital sketchbook, we get an amazing commission that was done by Paulo Rivera. He's done some awesome Hellboy stuff. Um, I highly encourage you to look at that, but this is like a nice tribute to the Wild Hunt where Hellboy's about to pull out Excalibur. Yeah, it's a great it's a great image. It's beautiful. I'm going to have to post this one on the social medias this week. We Whoever also- out there who has that private commission, hats off to you. I know, really. <laughs> We also get another piece that he did for the Hero Initiative charity auction. And this is what I love, the character studies. This is my favorite thing. See, I was talking with Jason Abaddon. Like, I would love to have something like this. Like, instead of a piece of original art, have, like, one of these behind-the-scenes where they're doing all the character studies. And you can see him drawing Hellboy, you know, just designing his clothes and everything. And I like how... The right hand of doom is in shadow. When he shows it here, it's all like shaded in. Oh, yeah. The palm or whatever, right? And then I just love the character studies, too, of all the characters. And I love this one of Professor Broom. So he's holding the Enkelidite, and then over his hand and under his hand is like the little glass thing that it would go in. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Sorry, just going back to the last page here. There's this one panel that just says, be like Mike. Oh, yeah. Bottom bottom left here. It says, be like Mike, and it's got like like Hellboy, and his face is all in shadow. Yeah. Yeah, You can really see that he researched like what kind of combat boots he would have at the time and what his holster would look like. Sure. I mean, I personally, of course, as we know, I like the cloven hoof spats or whatever, but that's, you know. This is early Hellboy. Sure, sure. Yeah, and we just get more character models of him designing all the different people, Miss Fox. 
Moravec, the Book family. And then we get some really nice uh, layouts from the beginning of Beyond the Fences here. So we get to kind of see his roughs. And they're really awesome. I mean, that's amazing how he's able to do that. I love seeing the progression of his work here and it looks like he puts the letters in does he put the letters as a stand-in so that way he knows what to draw around and stuff yeah, like that because you don't want to accidentally block something out that's that you right. really want in the panel i guess but i don't think all artists do that no I'm, yeah maybe not maybe they do i'm not sure yeah and so um it's really nice to be able to look at the original art we also get the designs for the monster dog rivera says one of my favorite things about drawing comics is all the on the job learning that's an integral part of the process I know nothing about dogs, but as I was searching for reference, I came across a Borzoi, which has such an interesting shape. So I guess that's the kind of dog it was. Once I decided on that, it was just a question of making it super creepy or even creepier. And here at the end, we have the different covers for the Beyond the Fences issues by Rivera. These are really nice. And then at the very end, we get the David Mack variant. So this is the one that I was talking about earlier. And I love David Mack. I love how he puts these together. He always puts like writing in his covers. And so it says here, I saw this door, a passageway to somewhere else. And just really great work. David Mack has done a couple great covers for the series and uh, this is one of my favorites. This is actually an image that I've I've been a fan of since even before uh, the podcast. I, I've always I've seen this image because I'm a big David Mack fan, and so I've always loved this image. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we talked about it last week, but the very last image here in the trade paperback version is the cover to last week's episode, the Witch Tree and Raw Head and Bloody Bones. So that's what the cover is on that issue. And again, just amazing work by Mignola. I love seeing the Raw Head and Bloody Bones characters there on the cover. All right, so yeah, that was great. I love being back in the BPRD with Hellboy. And I love seeing all these characters that we've been introduced to before. We got Archie, Stegner, and Agent Jiang. And so I'm so excited to see what missions they go on next. And thank you guys so much for all your support with the podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media to see more about the raffle. I'm going to be posting that in the next week or so. And I can't wait to see what you guys thought of this episode. And with all that being said, now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on Hellboy and the BPRD 1953 Wandering Souls and Beyond the Fences. You can send us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean website. As always, a special thank you to Paul Hongatahan for the music. Uh, we love it. It's great. Also, thank you Mark Trudell for helping out with the reading order. It's wonderful. Thank you, John, for being yourself, for being an awesome, <laughs> wonderful person, because you're a badass. And Danielle, thank you, too. You're you're also super awesome. <laughs> um, you can find the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts from. And I don't really know what those are, but I'm pretty sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we are reading Hellboy in the BPRD, 1954, Black Sun, and The Unreasoning Beast. So you know what to do. Plus your back issues, your trades. There's no Omni for this, so you're just going to have to go with a uh, back issue or a trade. Or digital. Or, or digital. Or time travel to 1954. It's a year before you meet Marty McFly, but uh, what else? <laughs> and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. You're awesome too, Aubrey. I think you're awesome too. Aw, thank you. And thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Daniel. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, 
I'll do my best, Professor. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Max back, baby. Yeah.